0: This is episode 19 of Everyday Wellness, behind the scenes with Predominantly Paleo with our guest, Jennifer Robbins. I'm Dr. Kelly Donahue, clinical health psychologist, here with my co-host, Cynthia Thurlow, functional nutritionist and nurse practitioner. Let's get started. Welcome to Everyday Wellness. Wellness is the result of the decisions that you make every day. It's your mindset and the thoughts you believe. Wellness is the food you put in your body and the relationship you have with yourself and others. Wellness is your work and meaning. Join us on Everyday Wellness as we explore ways that you can choose wellness today.
1: Good morning, Uh, this is Everyday Wellness and today we have a special treat. We have Jennifer Robbins who is the author and um, well she's she has many hats um she is involved with predominantly paleo and also uh is the manufacturer of our favorite uh, gluten-free junk-free bread called legit bread company so it's a really a pleasure to have you on this morning jennifer and what i'm going to do is just quickly tell our listeners a little bit about you um you very nicely you know gave me a, a synopsis of you know what's gone on in your life to kind of um you know provide this fervent kind of background um, that you've grown your business in. Um, And and so Jennifer mentions that in her 26th year, um, you know, her health went from, being, you know, as she reported, she had incredible energy and stamina and a zest for life. And then all of a sudden in her 26th year, that all changed. She had a slow and steady downward decline into in in to a chronic illness, uh, which presented initially as panic attacks, followed by autoimmune disease, a Lyme diagnosis, and finally an irre- uh, irrecoverable crash. You were given 20 different diagnoses from a variety of healthcare professionals, uh, but ultimately between food choices, pregnancies, and life stresses, your body really gave up and stopped um, being in a state of homeostasis. The past three years, you spent seeking, digging, praying, sorting, researching, crying, and nourishing your way back to stability. Uh, And, you know, you touch on the standard American diet, which obviously we'll talk about in a second. But, you know, you noticed that when you started transitioning from just being gluten-free to grain-free, as well as dairy-free, that's when you started to feel a whole lot better. So welcome. uh, Welcome. We're really excited to have you on this morning.
2: Well, thanks for inviting me. I'm glad to be here.
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, your journey has been so inspiring and clearly um, for so many of us, our own personal health struggles become a powerful impetus for seeking answers. And then we, you know, jump down that proverbial rabbit hole, uh, which helped helped you make the connections between nutrition and health, wellness and vitality. Was there any one particular food for you that was easiest or hardest to transition to?
2: So I gave up gluten first um when I was diagnosed with thyroid disease mm-hmm. and so in it was after the birth the births of my first two babies they were back to back they were less than a year apart wow I started feeling horrible and it was right before my husband was deploying and so I thought Okay, you know, clearly I'm just stressed and um, this is a really pivotal time and I have a five-month-old and a 17-month-old and, you know, I'm just overwhelmed. But I ended up going to the doctor and that's when I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's. And so I did, I was really resistant to going on medication at first Mm -hmm. um, because... I just felt like that was a rabbit hole I did not want to go down and if I needed one med how you know where would where would it end. So I started with food specifically and I gave up gluten mm-hmm. and I gave up kind of I kind of gave up dairy at the time and tried to limit you know refined sugars and stuff like that. However, I would say that I gave things up, but I ate a ton of processed foods, a ton Mm -hmm. of, you know, um, frozen meals and things out of packages because I was just trying to do anything to make life easier. And I had these two little babies and my husband was gone. And so it was a lot, it was a lot to take on, but I felt like giving up gluten really was not hard because there are so many great substitutions out there. Um, dairy was much harder. I mm-hmm. feel like and it's still hard, you know, luckily now I can tolerate it a little bit better so I can have it here and there. But at the time I was like, okay, cheese substitutes are just not cheese. <laughs> There's like, <laughs> we all know that. Yeah. Like I don't rubber. care who you are. Like it doesn't taste like cheese. Mm-hmm. It has a weird aftertaste. It might melt, but it's the textures. Everything was just wrong about, mm-hmm cheese substitute. So that was, that's always been the hardest because, um, you know, I grew up in Texas. I am a Tex-Mex fanatic. Um, but yeah, gluten didn't seem to be like it was that hard. It was really when I started going more paleo several years down the line after that transition that I felt like, wow, this is really, I have to like completely rethink the way that I'm eating and because it it was a mindset shift at that point. It wasn't just what am I giving up, but what am I going to include? How am I going to get more veggies? How do I avoid processed foods? How do I make things from scratch that taste like the things that I really am drawn to, which are not good for me all the time? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I feel like that was probably more challenging, but in a good way, because... It made me really tap into my creative side and think like, okay, if I want a chimichanga, how am I going to make that? And how am I (laughs) going to make it with these raw ingredients that Mm -hmm. are safe for me, but still satisfy me on uh, an emotional, aesthetically pleasing level?
0: And I'm curious if we could go back just for a minute, when you were first diagnosed and trying to figure out what to do, how did you come to the idea of using food or of changing your diet? Was that something that your physician presented or was that something you sought out on your own?
2: So I had seen so many doctors over the years and I think that I just sort of reached a point where... I was tired of, I mean, I really, I liked the the lab testing and the digging and like, let's find out what's going on. And luckily I got to a point where I had some integrative physicians who were really trying to help me um, uncover what was going on. And I'm grateful for that, but it seemed like this endless search because when you are sick, there are a lot of things that are going wrong. Like it's never just Lyme or just thyroid mm-hmm. or just one virus. If you have one virus, you probably have many viruses <laughs> that are, yes. um, you know, out of control. And if you have one, you know, bad bacteria in your gut, you probably have many or you have parasites or you have whatever it is. It was just, it was like, where do you even start? And, you know, you look in your med- medicine cabinet, you've got 40 supplements you're taking every day. And then I was taking antibiotics for Lyme that were made for, you know, a 200 pound man. And I was like, this is just too much. And so it was at that point that I said, there has to be something else that is better than this. Like I I just felt like I was doing my body a disservice by throwing so much at it. And when you have methylation issues and you're not detoxing, You can take all the supplements in the world, but you're not necessarily processing them correctly. And if your gut is off, then you're not even digesting them, you know, and and absorbing them. So I just got to a point where I felt like maybe I need to rethink how I'm approaching. And, you know, you've heard the phrase before, you can't kill your way to health. Like you can't just kill every bacteria Mm -hmm. in your body because we are 98% other microbes, you know, other DNA. And so if you can't kill everything off and you don't want to, then there has to be a way to support the immune system from a different vantage point. And so that's when I started thinking about food more and the quality of food. And was I getting a, a vast array of nutrients from my food? And and I hadn't really been. I was just kind of squeaking by on my, you know, gluten-free, sort of dairy-free diet. And, It just wasn't enough and so that's when i started really digging in
1: that's a really powerful connection you know i'm I'm western medicine trained and and worked in er medicine and cardiology for gosh 16 almost 18 years and Mm -hmm. you know for me i got to a point where i just got so tired of writing prescriptions and you know trying to encourage desperately trying to encourage my patients to change their their nutrition to change mm-hmm. their diet, uh, and you know we've just unfortunately as a society gotten into this ma- mindset of you know food is just this passive kind of you know food is just a conduit to the next thing. It, right. it, people really are so profoundly disconnected from food and nutrition and and the importance of it, and we're so focused on I'm just going to take that pill and it'll fix me. And, uh, you know, as, as human beings, we're so much more complex than that. So I, I love that you started making those connections. Um, and, and I know, you know, for so many of us that have come kind of full circle, you know, those of us that are Western medicine and functionally trained as well, um, you just start to realize there's more to it than just giving a pill um, or just eating a processed bar. Like I, I constantly am having conversations with clients that will say, well, can't you just give me some processed stuff so I, you know, when I travel or I'm doing this or I'm doing that? And I was like, that's fine. It's all about balance. But I really mm-hmm. want you to eat real food. Right. Um, your body desperately needs that. That's why even, um, you know, I, I was being asked recently, um, a lot of people that deal with weight issues, I mean, their bodies are intrinsically starving. They don't look like they're starving. Right, exactly. But their cells and, and their bodies are starving for food and nourishment and they're mm-hmm. just not getting it.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about how you came up with a lot of these recipes and how you decided to pull them together in a cookbook?
2: <laughs> um, that's funny. I <laughs> <laughs> So when I first started blogging before I got to the cookbook phase, um, because that started a little bit earlier on I was just trying to figure out what you know how do I piece together these different ingredients in order to make something that I would enjoy eating because for me if I'm just shoving it down and I don't like it I don't feel like it nourishes in the same way that if I can find the right ingredient combination that's healthy but I really like the flavors, and I really enjoy eating it, I feel like that is going to serve my body better. So I started blogging just sort of in secret. Um, Mm -hmm. I wasn't sharing anything with anyone because I didn't really know that I was doing anything helpful. And I also didn't know that blogging was like a thing that people did. You know, like, I, I just thought it was a hobby on the side. You didn't have to share it with people. And then I learned like, oh, no, people do this. Full time all the time. And so it's sort of, you know, after a year of blogging in secret, I, I ended up putting it on social media, like, okay, may, maybe I'll share this. Maybe somebody else will benefit. And so I've always approached it from the standpoint of anybody can make salmon and kale and call it healthy. And that's great. And some people have really low standards for what tastes good to them, right? I mean, not. I don't want to say low, but like they're happy to eat anything as long as it has nutrition or they're happy to eat anything as long as it makes them feel satiated at the end of the meal. I am not that simplistic and I wish that I was. I'm also not the person who can have like the exact same thing for breakfast every morning mm-hmm. without getting sick of it by maybe day 3. So, I knew that I needed to if I was if I was going to stick to this as a lifestyle, as a healing modality, as a commitment that I was making to serve my body best, I knew that I was going to have to put food together in a way that was really satisfying to my taste buds, that was really satisfying emotionally, um, and all of those things. And that I really wanted to enjoy it. Because if you are coming off of a standard American diet, it's really hard to eat that kale and feel like this is what I've been missing all my life. I mean, yes, (laughs) maybe your body feels a little bit better, but it might not completely be the reward that you need to stick with it. So...
1: ignites metabolism, This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to try armra.com slash Cynthia 15, or enter Cynthia 15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia 15. You definitely want to check it out. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting edge technology and human expertise. So you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, Even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code EWP. WP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients.
2: That is sort of my inspiration for everything. I want to take things that like I loved in my past life and make them in my new life in a way that satisfies me that i feel like i want to eat the leftovers the next day i'm excited to make this again i'm excited to you know would i share this recipe with somebody walking down the street who just had fast food and feel like maybe they'd like it that's that's kind of who i want to appeal to as well as myself and so that's been the inspiration really for everything and that's you know my first cookbook was a southern paleo cookbook and so I'm like okay but how do we get fried chicken back in this situation (laughs) you know how do we get Tex-Mex how do we get gumbo how do we get Mm -hmm. like all the things that I grew up in Houston eating without them being god-awful
0: right so
2: that that's been um really like Every day, if I just write a recipe for the blog, if I write for a cookbook, it's always, but what's going to taste really good and satisfy me on levels more than just, yes, this is nutritious. And so I just kind of continue with that path because I feel like, if anything, it feel it fills a void that... Um, that maybe is is the one thing that makes it really hard for people to transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I can fill that void and bring better health to others, then I feel like that's accomplishing a whole lot.
1: No, and I'm so grateful because I, you know, I, I think the thing that I have really struggled with, I've been gluten free for seven years, and I reversed an autoimmune issue, um, just by eliminating gluten. Yeah, and then um, had some health issues a couple years ago, and it took me three years to get my health back. And I had to finally really eliminate grains and dairy. And much like you said, dairy was hard, um, and I wasn't eating that much of it, but it must have just been inflaming my body so much. And so, you know, having the opportunity to, um, you know, pick up a cookbook and be able to, you know, any recipe I've used of yours has worked flawlessly and has been, you know, there's no strange or odd ingredients that have necessitated me having to drive all over Northern Virginia looking for them. (laughs) So for that, I'm very grateful. But, you know, I I love to hear the process because I'm not intrinsically a creative person. Um, So I love to hear, you know, when creative people really put their thinking hats on and really, you know, devote a lot of emotional energy to Um, you know, it's solving a problem. You know, the problem is I can no longer eat X. So how do I go Mm -hmm. about, you know, recreating something that tastes like that, like your meatloaf is really, really popular in our house. And I have boys. (laughs) And you know, now I have to make doubles of everything, the the portions are are just becoming larger and larger by the day, which is frightening my grocery bills, bottom line. But I'm just so grateful. So really nice to have you on. But out of like curiosity, when you um, are writing a cookbook, or you have a concept, I mean, how long does it take you from beginning of end to come? Because I'm sure there's tons of recipe tastings and um, all sorts of, you know, I'm sure there's just it's a lot more time than than those of us on the outside probably realize, realizes. But when you come up with a concept from start to finish, how long does that process actually take?
2: So it's usually a year total. But mm-hmm. funny enough, um, that a lot of that is like, it is not necessary. I'm not necessarily part of it. So it usually takes me about three months to do all of the recipe creating and writing and um, photos. Sometimes I get an extra month for the photos, but I usually try to take them as I go along. And then once I turn in the manuscript, then, you know, it starts the initial editing process. It is, gets laid out the graphics get added so it's really kind of a lengthy process sometimes you know depending on the publisher who's piecing it together sometimes it gets done in a a quicker way but um, with my publisher it's it's pretty much a full year and it also depends on Uh, you know, what it gets slotted for as far as the season of sales. So you might start a year prior for a fall release cookbook that's got a theme or an idea that makes sense for fall, like my um, kids' cookbook, for example. Mm -hmm. I started it the year prior, but we knew that we wanted it to be released around back to school because that made the most sense. So there's really, there's so much that goes into... The process, and then um, I get looped back in towards the end uh, with edit, final edits, and that big manuscript gets sent to my house, and I have to go over with a fine tooth comb and hopefully not miss too many things. But inevitably, you know, that's there's always a few mistakes in, in a book, and that's sort of unavoidable. But yeah, it is quite the process. Oh, I
1: can only well, imagine.
0: You have a lot of successful cookbooks, so I'm imagining you must enjoy part of the process. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, I do. You know, it's it's hard because I, I like the creative process, so that's my favorite. I was uh, a ballet dancer for 20 years, and when I got really sick, I realized that I wasn't really tapping into that part of my brain that fulfilled me. And so what I found with, you know, creating recipes was I was finally using that again and I was using it in a way that could help other people. So it just, for me, it was sort of an an endorphin release. And, um, So I do like the creative process of the cookbook. I like putting together the table of contents. I like trying to figure out the names for the chapters. I like creating the recipes, taking the photos. The hard part is anytime you put your work out there, there are going to be people who are nasty. And I've gotten better um, about just accepting that that is a fact and there's not anything that I can do about people who are miserable with their lives and come after (laughs) me. (laughs) But not to say that, you know, when you get those one star reviews, even if they're arbitrary, Mm. even if they don't make sense, you know, I got, (laughs) I got a one star review this time because my book has, my most recent book has potatoes. And they said that my entire book of 75 recipes was completely useless. Those were the Uh. words. And, I'm like, okay, well, first of all, let's like backtrack real quick because potatoes have been paleo approved in the paleo community mm-hmm. for a few years. I understand there are people with nightshade sensitivities and you know things that prevent them from eating potatoes and I totally hear that, and I offer subs in all of my recipes, hey, Mm -hmm. sub sweet potatoes if you can't do white potatoes, or, you know, do something else if you don't want to do sweet potatoes, but anyway, it, I can't say that, like, that's my favorite part of the process, because it always stings, even if it doesn't make sense, or if Mm -hmm. it's not true, Mm -hmm. but, you know, to see in black and white that somebody thinks your work is useless is crappy you know um i put it into perspective most of the time and i look at you know big picture is for every one star review i have hopefully a hundred good reviews and so it's not the majority of people it's not you know it doesn't speak to um how hard I work or my ethics or what I try to offer people. But that, that part's hard. And like each time I I've released a book, I've said to myself like, okay, here we go. There's going to be people who hate this. (laughs) 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 And that is part of putting your work out there into the universe is that it will attract the bad, the bad with the good. And so, um, but yeah, I, I do like creating the work I don't like putting it out there for um, ridicule, but that mm-hmm. is just kind of that's that's what you have to deal with when you are willing to put it out there. So,
1: yeah, and that's hard to. I think that's hard for anyone. I know. Um, I don't have a cookbook, but the summer I, I did, I have done a big launch, and I had a lot of lead magnets on social media. And every once in a while, you get a troll that just wanted to have an argument with you. And mm-hmm. initially. I would try to engage with them. And, you know, of course, it's my mindset. I was like, well, I'm going to convince them that, you know, their perspective, there's another way to look at it. And now I just delete.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not even worth it
1: nope I just said now I just I'm like if you're gonna argue then and and you're not gonna I I think there's a way to politely disagree with people but if you are at the point where you just can't even be polite I'm like I just can't even deal with that I won't the emotional energy it's taking up I'm expending is just not it doesn't make any sense a
2: thousand percent yeah Yeah. I've started doing that on social media more I used to try to like really engage and like well let me see if I can help explain and you know and then Mm -hmm. I just realized like they're not looking to be persuaded. They're not looking to learn from you. They're not looking to, you know, see if you have something to offer them. They're looking for an argument. And so if you give it to them, it's just going to fuel the fire. So um, yes, I've definitely learned to, I guess, either block more easily or not feel like just because you have a social media presence that, that, allows other people to walk on you and that you have to be okay with it Mm -hmm. um i think there's enough negativity in the world that i am more comfortable now saying here's my boundary and you're not allowed to cross it you know and so i you definitely learn to do that more over time so that's just a lesson that comes with the with the work with wisdom right (laughs) (laughs) we could call it that (laughs) with wisdom.
0: I think that's so important, though. It's, it's the side that we don't often see or have people talk about, um, but it's very real. And it I think you know, the mindset, like you mentioned, is important because we can kind of choose to put all of our energy on those few negative reviews or to put the energy on the 100-plus, not only reviews, but the people behind mm-hmm. those reviews whom you're really helping with your product. Absolutely. Yeah, and I've also found... Um, you know, as a health psychologist, that oftentimes people who have these negative mindsets are in some ways more inclined to be ill and feel bad. And so (laughs) if they continue in that mindset by slamming something that could be potentially useful for them, they're really only harming themselves in the long run.
2: Totally. And I, I see that too. And you can really tell, I mean, I feel like those that mentality sort of comes out when you see a lot of excuses or mm-hmm. you see the comparison of like, well, I've been sick longer or I've been sick worse or <laughs> I have more symptoms than or whatever it is. And it's like, what do we really want to?
1: Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep, slash Cynthia. That's B I O P T I M I Z E R S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia 10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia 10 for 10% off any order.
2: Compete on how awful things right. are. Like, I feel like if you are not in the mindset to believe that you are going to heal and that this is A blip, but maybe a really long blip. Maybe it's you know it takes years to get back to a place that you feel good about. But if you're if you're not in it emotionally to believe in your own healing, then I don't think it happens no matter Mm -hmm. what you do.
1: Yeah, there definitely has to be a want and a desire to get those answers. I Mm -hmm. think that. you know, for most of us, I, I don't think anyone's immune to this when we go through our own health challenges. And for me, I went from being ridiculously fit and not sleeping enough, and I, my, diet was way too restrictive I was too hardcore paleo mm-hmm. you know not enough starchy carbs I didn't know enough about carb cycling I didn't know about you know how that impacts your thyroid and it wasn't until I totally crashed three years ago that all of a sudden it was very humbling to go through as a healthcare provider that you know trying to find those answers and I wasn't satisfied with some of the people I worked with and I remember Gosh, I mean, I, I have a really wonderful functional medicine provider locally who's also a good personal friend, and that's been helpful. But mm-hmm. working also with um, a really other very talented woman that she's the one who figured it all out, like no one else could, but she did, yeah. and so that's afforded me a quality of life that I wasn't sure I was going to have again, and and here I am in a position um, like so many of us were. You know, trying to really support other people's health and and not right. feeling like I was a hundred percent. I was like, we got to get this back. Um, I know. I so know. when you finally get there, you really appreciate it if you've had a, a health journey crisis. Totally. But for sure, for sure, I'd love to know how legit Bride kind of came about. I'm sure out of, it came out of all of all of this other creative um, expressiveness that you have. But um, clearly, you must have found a void in the market, uh, and then you know to kind of troubleshoot it around that. But love to hear how that process came about.
2: So I'd love to say that I had some big master plan and (laughs) that, (laughs) um, that I did, you know, all this market research and uh, it really sort of evolved not in that way. Um, so I had in the kids cookbook, this recipe for a sandwich bread and i had been trying for a while to really nail a sandwich bread that i felt like was worth putting a sandwich together for uh there were so many that were almond flour based which is fine but i don't i really try to gear more towards doing things that are nut free when I can, because in addition to wanting to be gluten free or grain free or paleo or whatever it is, I feel like with all the nut allergies mm-hmm. um, and being a mother and knowing that like, if you send an almond flour based bread sandwich to school, a lot of the time that's not going to be allowed. So let's do something better and let's create a texture that's, you know, worth palatable (laughs) yeah exactly um you know you know what I mean so I put the actual recipe together and I was really excited about it and I had teased a lot on social media and said oh my gosh look what I have been able to do I'm so excited and I put pictures and I had this crazy response and outpouring of people begging me to sell the recipe they're like well I don't have kids I don't want to buy the book I don't want to wait for the book, I'll still buy the book, but please, can I get that recipe right this minute? And I'm like, hmm, can you get this recipe right this minute? (laughs) (laughs) How do I do that? And I ended up selling the recipe as just a single recipe, sort of a la carte on my site for a while. And it sold like thousands and thousands and thousands of copies. And I thought maybe, you know, I hadn't really wanted to have a product, at least not one that I was solely responsible for figuring out how to produce. I know a lot of people will do like private labeling on supplements and different things. And that is sort of easy, right? But when you are producing your own product start to finish and you don't have outside funding and you have to figure out who's going to manufacture the product and you have to figure out how that manufacturer is going to be a nut-free, certified gluten-free kosher facility that, you know, allows your ingredient. It's just, it's so much. And so I really had no idea what I was getting myself into, but I did start thinking if this many people love this recipe, that is telling me that there's nothing like it available to them on the market. And maybe I'm the one who needs to do this. And that was a big mistake. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it was sort of, yeah, the beginning of the end. Like, it's, I did, I had no idea what I was getting into, but that is how it started. So I started researching. I talked to friends of friends who had small food companies. And they said, well, are you going to have a co pack? Are you going to, I'm like, What's a co-packer? Like, I just had no (laughs) idea what I was getting into. But ultimately, I did the research. I figured by that point that there were enough people interested. I, as as a consumer, I saw, you know, there were some products on the shelves. I didn't really care for any of them. I was using my own recipe, you know, more than I really wanted to buy what was there. So... Onward and upward we went, and um, I started with both the loaves. Actually, the the loaves, the ready to eat loaves, came out first, and um, I recently had to stop producing those because I went through three different bakers. And the problem is they either, they're either really small bakers who are an allergen friendly sort of situation. Um, and they can do smaller runs for a company like mine, or they're really, really big producers and they want you to produce, you know, 10,000 loaves every week or something like that. And I thought there's no way, like there's just no, I don't have anywhere to put them. I don't have that many retailers interested yet, all of it. So because I've had to go with smaller producers, um, I've had three bakers go out of business, unfortunately. And so I ended up this past summer, I had to make the executive decision that, you know, as much as I'd like to offer the loaves, I have to kind of put them to rest right now and I hope maybe one day I can bring them back. Um, as a military family, we're not done moving yet. And so I feel like when I have a little more stability, maybe it's something that I can, you know, look into, but for now I do have four mixes. Um, the mixes are a lot easier to get manufactured. I have some new mixes that will be coming. I'm working on an AIP bagel right now. Um, Um. and, That, that, yes. So it's nut-free, grain-free, gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, you know, just like, (laughs) (laughs) it's made of uh, sunshine and butterfly wings, but, um, (laughs) but it, so I'm, I'm trying to expand the mix line because I know that that is a little bit easier in terms of like, if I were to lose a co-packer for the dry mixes, which I have. Um, it's easier to find another one to pick up production. So... That's sort of the direction we're headed. It started with you know a single recipe and sort of grew from there. And now I continue to just take notes from my customers and my readers and look at you know what what are they missing? Like what are they? So I get ideas from them all the time. They're like, we need a biscuit mix. We need a pizza crust mix. You know. And so I'm working on all of these things, and. Um, And I'm excited to see sort of what lies ahead.
1: That's amazing. I I mean, I am so grateful. But in all those things, you know, especially as a parent with um, a a child with nut allergies, I mean, that was for me always the biggest bugaboo was just trying to find something that didn't have nut flour in it Mm -hmm. um, or a lot of the other options. Um, I think I bought a pre-made which will remain nameless, pre-made bread in <laughs> the grocery store that was frozen, and uh-huh. I will never forget. I took it out. Uh, I think I'd made like a big thing of soup. I had, you know, family over, and my sister-in-law and her children are vegetarian, and so trying to find, you know, something that meets everyone's needs sometimes right. can be challenging. And so I took the bread out of the packaging, and my younger son looked at me and said, "It smells like Wet Baxter, which is one of our dogs." And <gasps> so, yes. Um, yes, said it smells like wet dog, and everyone it was does. like. I think we're going to pass. And so I said, I'm just going to put it back in the wrapper and I'm going to take it back to Wegmans. And I'm going to explain to them that it's not even palatable because it, whatever it was, it was, it was not inexpensive, but everyone kept Uh talking about the bread that smelled like Baxter. That smelled like dog. Yes. We want to
2: avoid that at all possible. Well, I think that your bread goes
0: far and beyond just avoiding the dog smell. Thank
2: you. Well, I appreciate that. One of my small uh, many goals in running a bread company is awesome. Avoid dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have clearly learned a lot
0: on your own health journey and then in providing recipes and cookbooks and products that are palatable to folks who want to be healthy and folks who are healthy. And so we're just wondering if you could tell us two of your top tips for everyday wellness that you could share with the
2: listeners. Ooh, two of my top tips. I would say find foods that you enjoy that are also nutritious because when you draw that sort of Venn diagram of what's healthy, but what fills you up, um, you know, there's, they don't always cross over, but when you can find, uh, when you can find that crossover, I feel like that's where you actually stick with it and that's where you continue to live a healthy lifestyle and not just do these very short-term reset programs, where you can do it for a couple weeks or you can do it for a month and then you go right back to eating the way that you were. Um, the sustainability factor, I feel like, is really, really important in all of this. Especially if you are trying to heal from something, it's not enough just to do it here and there. It's got to be all the time, um, or at least. of the time, if you're trying to heal, maybe a little bit higher, and then at least 80% of the time, right, if you're just sort of maintaining. But um, when you can find that crossover of what you really love, that's also good for you. I feel like that's where your big wins come from. And then what's another tip? Um, So I'm going to give a tip that I don't always follow. (laughs) (laughs) But I do think it's important And I have a little bit more flexibility because I do stay at home. And so I can kind of brainstorm throughout the day. Um, But I would say that meal planning is really good for people who are trying to stay on track. And so if you feel like it's easy to fall off by, you know, going to the office and seeing the plate of donuts and feeling like you can't say no, you're more likely to avoid those things if you already have something um as a fallback you know if you bring your lunch and you know that you have delicious beef stew that's waiting for you from last night's instant pot meal that you planned ahead and made extra so you'd have those leftovers then you know that preparation i feel like keeps you out of hot water um it's always when you know it's like going to the grocery store starving you start looking at anything. And you're just like willing to eat it right on the spot. If you go and you're fed, then you can show up and shop responsibly and buy the right things and put them in your cart. So I'd say preparation, whether it's meal planning, packing your lunch, knowing that if you're going on a road trip, that you uh, are packing the right things, you know, the healthy jerkies, the healthy um, trail mix options, even like coconut oil, based or avocado oil based uh, potato chips, like if you can pack ahead of time, and if you can have a little bit of forethought, I feel like that sets you up for the most success for sticking with wellness.
0: Awesome. And we definitely want people to know where they can find you and where they can find your cookbooks and how they can get their your bread in their life. So please give us all those details.
2: Okay. Um, You can find me at predominantlypaleo.com and also legitbreadcompany.com. The books are all available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, wherever books are sold. And um, Legit Bread is in a few retailers across the U.S., but primarily I am an online-based business, so you can find them on Amazon Prime and my primary Legit Bread website.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us and for sharing your health journey and all of the amazing outcomes of that with us and with our listeners. We really appreciate it.
2: Thank you for having me. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, you always hope that you can, you know, touch real lives, but sometimes you don't hear from everybody who you've had the the blessing to affect. So I love getting feedback like that, too.
1: Oh, well, good. Well, good. Well, have a wonderful day.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. You can find out more about Cynthia and her work at chtwellness.com. And you can find out more about Kelly and her work at everydaytherapist.com. In addition, if you have questions for us or topics you'd like us to address, please email us at everydaywellnesspodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, be well.